Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rebel Daily Live Stream. Hey, Drea, how are you doing over there in BC this very early-ish morning for you? Good morning, Tamara. I'm doing all right. Looking forward to the Daily Live today. Yeah, we were on a roll there for a while, and then, you know, life and work happens. And so we've been uh, intermittently disturbed from you know, having the two of us co-host together. So it's nice to see you again. And um, for anyone joining us at home, obviously today is Thursday, October the 6th. And depending on which platform you are tuning into this live stream on, we are on uh, YouTube, our Canadian Rebel News Canada YouTube channel, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, Getter. I think we're also even live streaming on Twitter. And then of course on two of those platforms on rumble if you're joining us there you can engage with us directly by giving a five dollar more monetary donation which we always appreciate the support obviously as you know we don't take handouts from the justin trudeau liberals so we can criticize and critique their policies and hold try at least to hold the government to account so if you give a five dollar or more donation on rumble called a rumble rant or on odyssey called a hyper chat then that's a way to engage with us directly and get some feedback or you know yesterday on the live stream someone was like hey I emailed you did you get it and it turns out that I had I didn't remember but I had and I drafted a response so anyway it's a nice way to uh, engage with us directly get some feedback or comments or alert us to issues that you find of importance and then on this particular live stream so Drea and I always like to get into the nitty-gritty of the COVID stuff and so of course we heavily question the science um, so we'll spend the first part of this live stream, uh, I guess, discussing safe topics. So if you're joining us on YouTube, uh, we'll we'll do we'll cover things that are YouTube safe, quote unquote. And then, in order to not have to self censor, we will give you a little bit of a warning. But we will be switching over to Rumble, Odyssey, and those other platforms to discuss the COVID stuff. So maybe if you'd like, you can just switch on over there. And um, you won't have an interrupted stream. Did I miss anything there, Drea? There was a lot. I think you got it all, girl. Yeah, which is good because I was away for a bit. So you took care of it as <laughs> usual. <laughs> well, I think let's we have a full docket here. And like I said, we want to get the first part of this live stream with some more safe topics. So first and foremost, our topic is politicians as is the new slash old, always normal, uh, politicians not being accountable. And so our first video was a little bit of a hot mic that caught U.S. President Joe Biden. Let's have a look. Yeah, I think that uh, someone must have told Hunter that no one messes with a Biden and well, look where that's landed him. He has basically immunity to do whatever it is that he wants to do. Um, with no one ever holding Biden or the family to account. I think Biden forgot who he was there. That's why he's speaking in the third person. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I heard nobody else with Biden. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of, you know, my grandpa. Granted, when my grandpa had dementia, I'm not making fun of that, but he does remind me of, you know, like my grandpa would say sort of a joke and would just be like so excited that he said it. And people are like, yeah, pat on the back. That was funny. Nice. <laughs> See you later. 
So it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they're not really lucid enough to know what is being said and give proper context. And yeah, I mean, whether or not he even knows who he is sometimes, you just see clips of Biden, like essentially wandering around kind of with like a deer in headlights, but a baby deer, like one that's lost without its mother. Um it's it's really it's actually really sad. I I yeah. feel bad when I laugh at it or poke poke fun or make jokes. Um, great opportunity for some parody. Like we again yesterday we discussed some of the Polyev parody that has been coming out recently. And let's do a Joe Biden one. Um, where is Ben Bankus when you need him? We're <laughs> calling you. on you to do a Joe Biden parody and also um, some good Justin Trudeau satire would be nice. Um, <laughs> The hot mics. I remember when Trudeau had a little bit of an arrogant hot mic moment, just like that kind of where he was with his wife and he's like, yeah, I win. That's what I do. Do you remember that? Did you ever see that? I do. Yes. Yeah. She said, tried to humble him back and um, pop that conflated or that inflated rather balloon head. Um, But I mean, his cabinet continues to be largely unfettered in the way that they're running this country. And that's further evidenced by the way that the federal minister of transport, so that's Omar Al-Gabra, has recently interacted with our Ottawa-based reporter, William Diaz. We have another clip here to share with you. Let's check it out. You know, I don't want to talk to you. I really don't. Why don't you want to, why don't you want to talk to Canadians that you're supposed to represent? To no, you don't, because we've got a million viewers watching us on YouTube, and you absolutely refuse to answer the question. Why do you have so much contempt I, for conservative Canadians? I, I don't want to talk to you. You don't want to? No. Is it because it's too hard? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> too difficult? The arrogance. Yeah. Why, why do you have so much contempt for conservative Canadians across the country to the point that you refuse to even address them I, when we I, ask questions? I love Canadians. It's just you do so much harm to Canadians with your misinformation. What, what yeah. did I say I was misinformation? Mm-hmm. Name me one thing. But I wish you well one with thing. your career. I wish you all with your career because this is a great job for you. This is incredible, folks. Name me one thing that was misinformation. Crickets. <laughs> there you go. Just one. Just one. Nope, can't do it. No, and I was seeing real time that actually the government has been the purveyor of misinformation throughout the COVID pandemic. You know, they flip-flopped on masks and border closure and and the science. I mean, right now I have an interview that's just come out. We broke it up into two parts, but a two-part interview with Dr. Byron Bridal. And we're still on YouTube. We're going to keep these topics safe here. Um, So I don't want to divulge too much there. But I would no. urge everyone to go check out that interview. It's regarding that new JAMA study that found trace amounts of mRNA in the expressed breast milk of nursing mothers, something that experts uh, and the Justin Trudeau liberals who they espoused with their rhetoric basically assured us wouldn't was impossible. And so now we're seeing that in real time as the data continues to come out that that was incorrect and uh, based on faulty or lack of, there's a lot of different options, uh, information. So um, yeah. what's your he take on that, Drea? Home, he probably went home after the last interaction with William where he just got, you know, schooled by young William, you know? And then he probably just was like, what should I say? And studied uh, Trudeau when he said we spread misinformation and then cut the mic so we couldn't respond. Um, But yeah, that laugh, that liberal arrogance is just so smug. But, you know, thankfully, I think 
the majority of Canadians are seeing through it right now. And William right away. All right, just name one. You can't do it. It's silent. It's crickets. That speaks volumes right there. So. Exactly. And I mean, since when don't you want to speak to the people who pay your salary? Right. Mm -hmm. I think that the liberals have just become these ivory tower dwellers who forget where their their salaries come from and their jet setting luxuries come out of the pockets of hardworking tax paying Canadians. And to be so to to have such callous disregard and disrespect for that honor of representing Canadians uh, to not even attest to a question. I mean, entertain it at the very least. You're walking. He's chasing you. What what else do you have to do? Uh, the conservative politicians primarily mm-hmm. will at least stop and give a few minutes. You know, they can they can speak. They can attest to the policies. They can answer questions on the fly. Um, that to me is a very basic prerequisite for the job that they're doing. Exactly. It's totally their job. And they would look so much better and be so much more likable if they would just answer the question. You could even say, I have time for one question, something like that, and just do short and sweet. I mean, that literally is your job to respond to the public, but uh, they just can't. It's not in them. I wonder if the mainstream media, you know, if that was a CBC journalist or Toronto Star or what have you journalist that was out doing on the boots journalism, catching them on the fly with some questions. I wonder if they would take the time to respond or is it just in these planned, controlled press releases and press conferences that the liberals have enough time to prepare their talking points to engage with the media I mean, it just, spe- again, it speaks volumes, not only the silence, but the lack of ability to articulate your, really your job and, um, and what you're supposed to be doing, you know, your portfolio as a mm-hmm. politician. Um, it's, it's really sad, the state of, of affairs here in Canada, the political spectrum, political landscape. Yeah, well, I think equally as shocking as it would be for the liberals to answer a question would be to see a CBC journalist out on the street asking <laughs> all on the fly questions the public wants to know. So, Very good yeah. point. Good point. Um, and well, we now have a new conservative leader, most people are aware, Pierre Polyev, who is finally trying to hold Trudeau's feet to the fire, get some accountability and, and get some real answers in Parliament. Um, they're just been runaway lack of accountability under especially Aaron O'Toole, who we saw booted out of the from his leadership role because of his inability to take a hard stance, conservative stance on a lot of things. Um, So we have a clip of Polyev questioning Trudeau in the House of Commons, where he's finally showing up to work. He's no longer out on his days off and vacation time. Let's have a look. Stay simple. Yes or no (laughs) question. The Prime Minister has, as his primary job, to protect our citizens. Fifty-five of them were murdered by this terrorist group, which shot their plane out of the sky, a civilian aircraft. Does the Prime Minister believe that the group that fired that missile and killed our people is a terrorist group, yes or no? We have listed 
the, uh, we have uh, recognized that Iran uh, is a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, we have uh, seen listed the IRGC Quds Force. We have just recently moved forward with strengthened sanctions against IRGC leadership to ensure that they cannot find safe haven in Canada. Uh, but I will also say, having sat with families of the PS752 victims, it was not just 55 Canadian citizens. Uh, there was close to 150 uh, or more people on their way to Canada, permanent residents, students, who we also grieve for every single day and who we stand with as we hold this Iranian government to account and will continue to. The Honourable Leader of the Opposition. A lot of smoke and mirrors from the Justin Trudeau Liberals. Yeah, I mean, at least he had a coherent sentence there and, and reminding that there was more people affected. But that's really not the point of the question. The very simple yes or no question, does he feel that the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corp is a terrorist organization just like the U.S. or not? And of course, he won't answer that. And, you know, this whole we've made it so that they can't have a safe haven here isn't even true. I mean... Uh, According to the people, you know, that we're catching in interviews and things like that, there's still so much to be done in that area. And one thing that they could do is definitely deem that group a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Trust and Trudeau Liberals are too uh, busy, preoccupied with labeling everyday Canadians as terrorists, domestic terrorists. Um, you know, we saw the way that the truckers yeah. were treated in January and February of this year and arguably continue to be uh, kind of labeled as second class citizens due to all the COVID related mandates. They were very mm -hmm. quick to denounce that and spread, you know, um, information for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, that these were foreign and foreign funded entities and domestic terrorists on Canadian soil and um, yeah. all of these radical yeah. things. And meanwhile, there's actual terrorism happening around the world. And uh, all you see is just soft words from soft, soft words followed by incomplete action by the Justin Trudeau liberals. It's, again, just the hypocrisy and the lack of accountability of all levels of government is gross, really, for, for lack of a better word. I think... Um uh, Polyev also has a petition about it as well. Last I looked, there was quite a few thousand who had signed it to stop it. But it also brings into question why didn't the Conservatives, you know, bring forth that petition earlier? It has been <laughs> a lot of days since that happened. So is it like, okay, now we'll jump on the bandwagon if we're, you know what I mean? Like we weren't, were we any safer, uh, you know, last month than we are today regarding this issue? Yeah, it's based on the polling, right? They're not taking principled stances against any of this. It's what do the polls show where we should uh, go with the wind? Which way is the wind blowing? Because we'll head that way. Exactly. And so on, on that note, too, we have uh, an article from the CBC that we're going to pull up. It's titled, Canadian officials have met with Taliban more than a dozen times since Kabul fell. Um, Ottawa has been pressing the Taliban for months on women's rights, fight and fighting terrorism. Uh, government 
Canadian government officials have met with representatives of the Taliban on at least 13 occasions in Qatar since it swept to power in Afghanistan in August 2021, documents obtained by CBC News reveal. I find it really interesting. The CBC's, uh, you know, they're filing ATIPs and they're getting getting yeah. uh, responses. This is this is actual journalism, whether you take their angle with a grain of salt or not. Um the documents, like I mentioned, obtained through access to information law show David Sproul, uh, that's Canada's senior official for Afghanistan, has been, along with various Global Affairs Canada, so GAC officials and representatives of allied countries, been pressing the Taliban for commitments on extending the right to an education to women, fighting terrorism, and granting safe passage to Afghans who want to leave the country. Um Oh, go ahead, Drea. I was going to say, I hate to bring this back to the trucker convoy, but Trudeau wouldn't even meet with the peaceful Canadians who came all the way to Parliament to just say, hey, can we have a little bit of our rights back? He wouldn't even meet with them because they were such bad terrorists. Now, multiple, multiple, multiple meetings here. And I thought you don't negotiate with terrorists. Is that just something you hear in the movies? Because, I mean... They're terrorists. I mean, what is going on here when your own people, again, peaceful, hardworking taxpayers, come in the middle of winter, they make the journey over, and you're hiding God knows where uh, with your, your multiple strains of COVID, and you won't even talk to them. But then this is happening. And yeah, kudos to CBC for getting some of the information and getting, letting the pub public know about this nonsense. Yeah, there was one date I found really interesting. The whole article is, there's a lot to sift through here, but I just wanted to point out the one date, which was the last meeting between Sproul, um, so that's the senior official for Afghanistan, the Canadian representative. Um, the last meeting between Sproul and Taliban representatives, which was summarized in the documents obtained, took place on February 16th of this year. That's wow. two days after wow. Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act to essentially enforce and uh, put into play uh, martial law to deal with the continually peaceful trucker protests. So these liberals were having literally in talks with Taliban representatives throughout the duration of the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa from, again, late January to February of this year. Their last wow. talk took place on February 16th during record crisis in Canada when our own civil liberties and bodily autonomy, I mean, the list of constitutional infringements literally goes on and on and on when you're, when you're speaking in the context of the COVID restrictions and what the truckers were protesting. Instead of coming to the table and discussing what real everyday Canadians were unhappy about politically and in their own country, the Liberals are out meeting with representatives from the Taliban. I, you know, what, how, how, like, how do you explain that? I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, we continue to disappoint Canadians and even become laughable to the rest of the world with things just like that. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I think that we were going to touch on it after this ad break, but um, we do have the Liberals being put on watchdog lists for accountability and withholding documents and these sorts of discussions from the Canadian public. So I don't want to jump ahead too much because we're going to show a quick ad break, but maybe we'll tie this back in um, on another topic when we come back. It's 
the values. You look at Western values in Western society, and these are values we could all relate to, but they're old world values of grit and community and perseverance. It's a place where you can make a living with your back and your hands and a little bit of hard work. And it's a place of opportunity. And I think as Albertans, we're fiercely protective of that. The world's energy crisis has been grabbing newspaper headlines. In a nutshell, we're running short of petroleum resources and the prices are zooming upwards. My colleagues in the government and I have come reluctantly to believe that the price of oil in Canada must go up. This was Alberta. The origin of the Alberta separatist movement begins with the election of Pierre Trudeau as prime minister. It was, it was a deliberate and malicious targeting of the West, which suited Pierre Trudeau just fine, just like it suits Justin Trudeau just fine. Sunny ways, my friends. Blackface. There is an actual hostile government towards Alberta. Why did your dad give everyone in Western Canada the middle finger? Really, in politics, you do have to make uh, big decisions. And whenever you make this big decisions, there's going to be people who agree with it and people who don't disagree with it. Plenty of people want to leave this country. It's not the kind of idea you'd expect to hear from someone who wants to win power and hold power. It's a, it is a radical idea. And you would normalize the discussion and so maybe Alberta wouldn't have to go because maybe the rest of the country and the rest of the world would say, whoa, don't go. Will you accept these changes instead? That's what happened to Quebec. There's no Maple Leafs west of the Manitoba borders. Why do we, why do we have a Maple Leaf by unilateral decision on the Canadian flag? Think of how the American colonists were in 1775. That's how a lot of Albertans are today. Must watch. I just want to talk about that ad for just a second. I did watch one of the, uh, you know, edits before it came up and I learned so much. I hadn't really known that stuff. So even though I'm out in BC, that is definitely a must watch. Yep. Premieres October 12th. And there's a few dates to follow thereafter. You can head on over to uh, truckerdocumentary.com to access those tickets and find out some more uh that is our docu film called ungovernable alberta's quest for independence it um looks like a great one kian sloney was the producer on that and he does fantastic work so um check it out if you're not already planning to um i'm going to shake up one of the topics here because i wanted to tie it back in with what we were discussing there about you know lack of accountability and transparency from the uh, trudeau liberals and so this is another CBC article here, and it, it says uh, cabinet documents should be reviewed to ensure government isn't hiding things from the public, watchdog says. Um, officials should be held accountable if departments don't respect the rules, Carolyn Maynard says. So this basically goes into how the government is not providing timely access to access to information requests, which is exactly what that CBC article we just discussed on secret meetings with the Taliban uh, discussed. Well, um, we've experienced it ourselves with our Rebel Investigates reports, though. So. Yeah. So the, the, first, the first paragraph says, secret cabinet documents should be reviewed to verify that they are truly cabinet confidences and not an attempt to shield government records from the access to information law 
Canada's access to information watchdog told members of Parliament on Wednesday. So that is um, Carolyn Maynard. Uh, further down in the article, it says that, you know, she she said her office has seen a 70% increase in complaints yeah. over the past year, which is a record number, 70%. That's huge. That's substantial. Uh, and she's on route I, to receive like 10,000 complaints about this issue. I think the first time a lot of Canadians became aware of it was when the whole Pierre, the blackout with the We Scandal pages and everything was just blacked out. I mean, it takes forever to get these things. And then when you do, half of it's blacked out or more sometimes. And definitely there needs to be some standards in place to make sure that the public isn't just getting cheated out of important information that we should know. So... Again, I don't know what's going on with CBC. Maybe they're maybe they're trying to get some more traction since a lot of people are leaving. But this is absolutely right. This is, like I said, we've experienced this themselves. I don't know if you have, yes. but I've experienced it. You're trying to get an FOI. Sometimes it's um, it's not even just the blackout. Sometimes they just will be like, "Oh, there's nothing there," and you're like, "What do you mean it's nothing there? There's, it's a government program. How do you guys have nothing?" And then you have to go back and like word it a few different ways. Like you know, there's just all these tangles. So I'm not actually just surprised to see that there is a 70% increase in this, but mm -hmm. it goes to show that that's like probably correlating with a 70% increase in lack of transparency in our government. Well, and Canadians becoming aware, right? And so taking matters into their yeah. own hands now and filing more access to information requests. Um, my first ever investigation and still has a outstanding access to information request. So I filed this, I believe it was September um, or October of 2020. So mm. we're two ah. years later and they attempted, like you mentioned, to come back and say that no records existed, despite the fact that I had emails with this particular yeah. entity stating that they had daily communication with our government agencies and mm -hmm. that records had to exist somewhere because I had it in writing that they were conducting these, this communication. Mm -hmm. So we appealed the decision and then just, I believe it was about three weeks or maybe four weeks ago, I finally received a response that they were going to be releasing the documents in full with obviously necessary redactions. So I don't yeah. have the documents back yet, but that's been almost two years of an access to information request that is still highly relevant. It has to do with long-term care and what happened in one particular home that saw um, nearly half of their residents die in a two and a half week period from the end of March to the beginning of April, 2020. And so we still don't have those answers. They can speculate. And I have a pretty good idea about what happened through piecing together, you know, tidbits from the mainstream media. But, um, I'm really interested to see what the documents show as long as they're not completely redacted, which happens more often than not. Well, and it infringes obviously on freedom of press, but also it could be a life issue. You're talking about how, you know, there was neglect and if that was to be repeated, if there was, you know, whatever wave and those same things happen, you're not able to properly explain to the public how detrimental it was in the first place. So yeah, it's, there's yeah. so much wrong with us not being able to access this information. That's the whole point of freedom of information.
Mm-hmm. And there's one of the reports there. It's a there's several different reports. I'm not sure if that's my most recent one, um, but I am really looking forward to having those documents released and determining yeah. what they say. And the thing about what happened in long term care and this story specifically is that what has been put in place to prevent it from happening again in the future. And so if we don't fully yeah. know what happened. How do you prevent it from happening again? Yeah, it's all swept under the rug. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And I think in order for it not to be this, these access to information requests are so wildly important in that way. And um, another thing that this article just says quickly, um, if Canadians can't successfully use the access law to obtain information, they might lose trust in the government and drive the proliferation of misinformation. That's what Maynard had to say about it. If they don't have the information from our own institutions, they will turn to other sources of information, which will lead to misinformation. So we know, like, I think Rebel files the most access to information requests out of like anyone else in Canada. And then, you know, we get labeled misinformation when a a vast majority of our reporting and specifically Sheila's reporting is strictly just on order paper questions in the House of Commons and access to information request documents that come back. So, um, I don't know how this will lead to misinformation, but definitely gets Canadians questioning what's going on in the government if we can't even obtain documents that representatives who are supposed to be representing us and are paid by us and their discussions that they are having. It's all really concerning. Maybe it was a tactic to use uh, their own language against them. You know, they, they claim they're so concerned about misinformation, yet they won't provide the information for people to be factual. I mean, <laughs> I think there is a point there, right? So you have to, if you know something's happening and you hear stories from people and you're reporting on it, you can only sort of speculate or offer that to the people so they can speculate if you don't have the actual conversations that are taking place in our government. So, Exactly. Yeah. When they don't respond, it lends you to further say, well, if you can't respond, then what's happening? And yeah, yeah. you're going to start to speculate and draw conclusions and those uh, that that doubt is going to fester into something more. So absolutely, I do agree with the sentiment. But then, you know, I also look at when rebels, for instance, labeled as this misinformation as, you know, Omar Algebra told our reporter, William, and yet the vast majority of our reporting is literally on the ground, just seeing what people are thinking and feeling about certain situations and topics. And then also literally just filing access to information requests I think I file at least one a week on various topics. Um, I'm okay, constantly filing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm and constantly so- filing access to information requests. And because I actually reach out to the government and they don't respond, you know? Mm-hmm. So what am I left to do then? You have to file the access to information request because no one will get back to you. Yeah. And so I'm just going to throw out this out there for anybody who appreciates that behind the scenes, we are doing these things. There are costs involved. So if you ever want to contribute to that, please do go to rebelinvestigates.com. That's a very important uh, crowdfunding site we have to keep our investigating our investigations going strong. So thank you guys for that. And also at that website too, you can check out our exclusive report. So that, yeah. that website houses all of our exclusive reports. That's rebelinvestigates.com. You can go through it there. Um, there's arrows at the bottom of the page. You can click endlessly, endless, a wealth of information there. Just exclusive reports and access to information documents. Um, So there's a lot there that people can go and learn more about. And of course, yeah, you can uh, pitch in there to offset the cost. I mean, sometimes we get 
hundreds of thousands of pages back and the filing fees alone for these government bureaucrats can be outrageous. Uh, so we, we definitely appreciate your help in helping us to continue to bring you that side of the story. Yeah. Um, we'll get through some of these super chats. Um, so Shauna Marie G83. Hi again, Shauna. Thank you uh, for tuning in yesterday as well. She gives $5. Hello, beautiful souls. I wrote Dr. Khan's clinic last night and they called this morning. My brother-in-law can get in as early as next week. Can't thank you enough, Tamara. Hashtag. I can't say oh. that on YouTube. Um, <laughs> I, maybe I can now. I don't, they're constantly changing as the science, you know, evolves yeah. and we no longer just blindly trust it. But anyway, um, I'm so happy to hear that, Shauna. Uh, Dr. Khan is fantastic. I have actually recently connected with another uh, medical professional who works unbeknownst to me at the time, but who ends up, ended up working alongside Dr. Khan and had nothing but great things to say about the care um, and the treatments that he provides to patients. So I'm really glad that you were able to get your brother-in-law in there. I don't want to divulge their personal medical information, but um, yeah, that's great. And then uh -huh. Fraser McBurney gives $5. Thank you, Fraser. Will Polyev do the right thing and not sign the re-election papers of those CINO Conservatives in name only will have to wait and see. Um, I'm not sure what's, uh, Drea, do you know what CINO refers to? No, I was hoping. <laughs> it's like the one thing I don't know anything about today. No, I don't know what that means. I'm ashamed to say, but uh, I will find out so that next time it comes up, I know. Yeah, thanks, Frazier. Anyway, I'm sorry yeah. that we're ignorant to uh, the abbreviation there. Um, all right. So just yesterday, we had uh, an article. I wrote an article about the some teachers in the Durham District School Board. So that's in Ontario. We're being taught the characteristics of white supremacy. And so uh -huh. this screenshot was shared by another Ontario teacher, Chanel Fall, who I've actually interviewed on the platform before, um, who through the, the generous donations of our viewers through the Democracy Fund, that's the registered Canadian charity, we're actually helping Chanel Fall fight back legally when she she's being investigated um, by the Ontario Teachers College for basically denouncing critical race theory and its teachings, how they've infiltrated the classroom in a private Facebook group. So that's another story in and of itself. But um, she posted this screenshot on Twitter yesterday of staff at the Durham District School Board, that's the DTSB, where they were tasked with learning about the characteristics of white supremacy culture. And they, we show the, the screen share there. And so there's 15 characteristics of white supremacy culture. So we'll just list them out here for you because, um, wow. So there's perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, <laughs> like uh, only one right way, paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, get this, individualism is a characteristic of white supremacy. I'm the yeah. only one. Progress is bigger, uh, bigger or more. Objectivity and the right to comfort. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, some of this stuff, you know, perfectionism, I'm like, okay, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I, um, th this, this apparently makes me, gives me some characteristics of being a white supremacist. 
um, objectivity. What? This is literally like, it's such a vague list. It covers everyone. If you scroll down in the comments, <laughs> guys, he's like that list there literally like it describes my mom and many middle-aged Jamaican women. And so I guess she's a white supremacist. It describes so many people and you know who it really describes? Ambitious people, ambitious, yeah. ambitious and hardworking people. <laughs> That's what it yeah. is because they want to dumb you down. So you believe this. They want you having group think only, no critical thinking, no objectivity, uh, no moral compass on what's right and what's wrong. That's why uh, you have to accept that it could be what the group think is. That's right. Like this is disgusting. Mm -hmm. School is having such an indoctrination camp. I'm so glad that we work at Rebel News where we're shedding light on that because it's so yeah. concerning. And the teachers are, you know, just as subjected to it. I've had emails before from teachers who, you know, don't want to go on record, but they say, oh my gosh, if you could have saw the seminar that I just attended or what have you. So they're going through this. And of course, many of them feel silent, like they can't come forward or they're a bigot. Yeah. They say, well, you know, I, I like to uh, use a planner. So I guess I'm a white supremacist. And notice none of those things are actually racist. Like what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. nothing that says, um, you know, you think you're better than someone else because of the color of your skin. You'd think that would be the main criteria for being a white supremacist, but apparently not. That's right. Well, a bunch of them actually, in my opinion, are great like personality yeah. traits to have, you know, perfectionism, <laughs> sense of urgency, um, objectivity. The thing, objectivity always brings me back to like trust the science and mm -hmm. uh, the conversation that I had again with Dr. Byron Bridle uh, just when we, we just posted his, both parts of his interview this week. Um, he discusses the need for scientific objectivity. And now does that make scientists white supremacists? I don't, like, what is even going on here in the world when individualism is apparently racist? Yeah. We used to teach, you know, our kids to stand out, uh, be a leader, don't be a follower. It's completely opposite of everything that makes someone successful in life. That list is what they're saying there. And, you know, they're making words like white supremacy so watered down that they mean nothing. Mm -hmm. Now, when there really, truly is the odd white supremacist walking around, uh, you might not even think so because that word has been used to describe everyone, including the, yeah. the people with those characteristics on that list. I mean, that almost looks like if you were looking to date someone, some of the characteristics you, you would tick down, like why, you know what I mean? Like, and what's the opposite of those things, right? Like the opposite mm. of those things, you're just confused. I mean, you don't know left from right about which way you should go. You need someone to tell you everything. Um, an either or thinker, am I the only one? What was that one? There was one really weird one. Um, right to comfort. Right to comfort. <laughs> what does that mean? Again, it's a, an attack on our God-given rights, right? What we should have. We should have shelter. We should have the ability to work and things like this. So if you think you have a right to be comfortable, you're a white supremacist. Well, and how does that translate over to transgendered people or all these these snowflakes on the radical left side, right? They're like, well, I have a right to to fit in and be comfortable and you better acknowledge my pronouns and that if you don't, that makes me uncomfortable and it's rooted in mm -hmm. violence. So yeah. are they white supremacists or yeah. are they not? 
Apparently the, the liberal tears are almost always over comfort issues. You know, it's your words make me uncomfortable. Thus I yeah. want you silenced and your firstborn dead, you know, like, <laughs> and your uh, uncomfortable words will inevitably lead somehow to violence. Yeah. And so exactly. we have to be comfortable and you must be censored and not speak. Um, but somehow a right to comfort is also rooted in a characteristic of white supremacy. I mean, do these, uh, uh, it just baffles my mind. Do these people not even think about what they're saying? And the fact that the district school board, the Durham district school board is espousing yeah. ideologues from this random activist, Tima Oaken, and I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, she, 19 in 1999, so like 23 years ago, this activist, white activist, I might add, um, discusses these said characteristics on her website. How in the heck did this all of a sudden get to be infiltrating into Ontario school boards in such a way that teachers need to be educated on these characteristics some random white activist thought up in her brain? Yeah, no, that's definitely what you should be looking into as well. But did, did I read it wrong? Is this, uh, was this shared by somebody who is also running in a municipal election or did I read that wrong? Yes. Yeah. Probably. So Chanel Fall is also uh, campaigning uh, for the on Ottawa based Ottawa Catholic district school board trustee position um, because she sees what's going on in the school system, right? She was a teacher who had who was being investigated by the Ontario College of Teachers for mm -hmm. literally just telling people in a private her colleagues in a private Facebook group you can I think I linked to our original interview in this written piece here mm -hmm. um, yeah I did she was literally just saying in this private Facebook group that we should teach things objectively so with objectivity, yeah. which apparently makes her a white supremacist um, and give, give a balanced, you know, balanced takes and then let students go and form their own opinions. But we shouldn't be pushing so heavily one side without also providing the other is basically what she said in this private Facebook group. And then like a year later, she oh. gets these complaints launched against her yeah. and uh, is being investigated. Yeah, there's our original interview. And so we're actually, we I put her in touch with the Democracy Fund. Again, that's the registered Canadian charity uh, that helps to fight and uphold civil liberties in Canada. And they are representing her throughout that investigation. Um, so please go check it out and pitch in to help cover her legal costs. Because yeah. what is happening in Canadian schools is just, I mean, you've reported on it in BC, Drea, it's just yeah. insane. And so I'm really glad to see that pe more people are starting to take matters into their own hands and become more involved politically and yeah. running for these trustee positions. Absolutely. And in British Columbia, there's a site called, our site called bcleadershipreports.ca if you want to check out some, um, just like Ms. Fall, who are running in BC for the October 15th election. So. Hmm. All right. And we have one other quick video clip on this topic, and then we'll throw to an ad break uh, because we're running out of time and we want to get off of YouTube and hit some of this COVID stuff quickly. Um, so let's look. This is a, a mother of a trans person. Oh, I think they even refer to her as she. So I guess it's a she. Um, basically is, is repeating, is mouthing like a ventriloquist, right? She's made this little ventriloquist transgender daughter beside her. Let's have a look at the video. Creepiest thing ever. 
Nine-year-old Kieran Clausen collects crystals. She dabbles in face paint, and she loves sports. What do you play? I did play volleyball, soccer, and I want to play basketball. To Kieran, who's transgender, it's not about racking up victories. I don't want to win any trophies for it, though. I feel like that's the most most unfair way to compete because it's not about winning. What's it about? Having fun with your friends for it though. I feel like that's the mo most unfair way to compete because it's not about winning. Kieran seems undeterred with a message now about her journey. Never stop being you. That's it. Never stop being you. There's so many kids that don't even have the opportunity oh, gosh. to express who they really are. We are yeah acknowledging more people as who they are than taking something away from somebody else. Um, I'm sorry, but an 11 year old has no idea who they are. Who they are. And I, there is so many layers of creepiness on here. I think I said something along the lines, like this is the creepiest thing that I've seen in a long time. And I just finished Dahmer. So, <laughs> you, okay. Some, I think it was written as though she's like, mimicking her words or telling her i think she's living vicariously through her child which is probably why her child is the way that they are that's i don't know for sure but that's what it is it's like she's sitting there and feeling the emotion it's so creepy i'm so glad they replayed the clip of her mouth moving exactly mm -hmm. with t the same way the child's is and you notice the child looks at the mom quite a bit to make sure that they're uh you know commenting in the right thing there but i don't know if you you caught it um but the kid says oh they love sports they love playing the sports but then they say but i don't want to win an award for sports i think that that's like the most unfair thing ever and i think i think that's because mom knows uh her child is about to dominate the sports i think that that child's been conditioned to not receive the awards because mom has seen what's happened to the you know the trans athletes who are dominating women's sports so where did that come from why would a kid say i don't want to win an award like you can see there's mm -hmm. so much conditioning happening here oh. yeah it's really sad like i mentioned it's like a ventriloquist you know this these are my yeah. thoughts and this is what i'm going to say but oh. we're going to parrot it through my young impressionable child as though, like I said, an 11 year old is supposed to know who they are as a person. <laughs> I mean, geez, well into my twenties, I was like, you know, you know, you're always questioning what, not my gender or my sexual orientation or anything like that, but you're growing and you're evolving as a person. And especially I always come back to the science of literally our brain development, your frontal mm -hmm. lobe and your rational, reasonable frontal cortex is not even fully formed and developed until you're in well into your 20s. Yeah, so to fun. think that an 11 year old can make these decisions or rationalize what's being fed to them is just absolutely absurd. And unfortunately paving, paving the way for them to suffer greatly from mental illness. And then mom was just waiting for her moment with the tears. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Tears. Like, oh my God. Like you can just tell, like she's been practicing this and she's the one you who feels to. like she got cheated in her own life. That's why she's living this way now. Oh, it's sad. Oh, it's really sad when you see stuff like that and everybody else just has to play along and act like this mm -hmm. is a normal situation. Like, I don't even know if the well, person her caught any of that the the report just continues like nothing creepy just took place 
Yeah, they're being literally validated by everyone around them because they're like walking on eggshells, too scared to say, hey, you know what, maybe let's hold up a minute and make sure that this is legitimately what is in the best interest of this child um, to to go and, and reaffirm and validate some of these things. It's yeah, I agree. It's it's all just really sad. And it's unfortunately going to greatly affect not that mom or that reporter. It's that poor innocent child that doesn't know any better and trust the adults in their life to guide them in an appropriate manner. And these adults are just being steered so far toward the radical left and these ideologies, again, that are, are just theories. None of this is based on any actual science or evidence. This is all just an experimental theory. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's all experimental. All right, so we have a couple more um, super chats that we'll get to, and then we'll throw to this ad, and we'll come back from the ad, and we will be off of YouTube. So if you're still joining us on YouTube, we're going to talk about some COVID nitty-gritty, and we're going to head on over to Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter, um, and I believe we can stay streaming on Twitter as well. So if you're on YouTube, after the ad, you notice that it cuts off, head on over to those other platforms and find us there, or just do it now so that your uh, live stream doesn't get interrupted. So we have a $5 from Frazier um, clarifying for us. So just like Rhino, conservative, hey, <laughs> in, <laughs> conservative in name only, C-N-O, C-I-N-O. Um, oh, okay. Now it all makes sense. So there was a little bit of like political slang there that you, get, you hit us with. So, um, uh, yeah. And then, oh, shoot, I quit, clicked something there. Okay, uh, JCMN84 gives $20. Thank you very much. Illogical BC vax mandate still keep visitors out of hospitals and healthcare workers terminated. And um, so he will be in court November 28th. Justice Koval, check out CSSEM.org, freedom to choose.ca, and hireback.ourheroes.ca to support. Yeah, we're going to actually talk about that um, toward the end, I think, of this live stream. So we have a lot of topics to still get through. We only have 10 minutes left. We'll throw to a quick ad. When we come back, we'll only be on those other platforms, we will no longer be on YouTube, all right? So head on over there and join us for the rest of the live stream. Adam Sos here for Rebel News. You know, our company is growing quickly and we'd actually like for your company to grow too. That's why this ad space that I'm speaking through right now is actually available for you to purchase. So instead of people listening to me, they could actually be learning about your company, learning about your business. If this interests you, if this is an opportunity you'd like to capitalize on, Send us an email at ads at rebelnews.com. Awesome. Yes, please send your ads. We love to show them. Sorry. You're really <laughs> excited, Drea. <laughs> we're free from big tech censorship, but yes, go on. Yeah. Um, so I, now that we're off of YouTube, we're going to get into some COVID nitty gritty. And first and foremost, we have this comic book partnership between Marvel and Pfizer. This is absolutely disgusting, but unsurprising. I've, I've um, reported on this superhero madness that the, for instance, the city of Toronto has been pushing on their youth for the better part of a year now. Um, but now there's an actual comic book. So look at this. Yeah, here's Avengers. They're everyday heroes. And I don't know if we can click to the second page. Um, I went to the Pfizer's press release. Hold on. Let me put a link in the Slack channel because I want to show the second page of the actual comic book and just highlight how grotesque 
the propaganda is for these children. And I, my heart really goes out because I have a son who is absolutely obsessed with Iron yeah. Man and Marvel characters. And, you know, we don't do a lot of that stuff at home anyway. I don't really actually even know where he um, fully formed this obsession. But if he were to see something like this, I mean, it would be devastating. Wow. These are really people and or fake characters. These are really characters that he looks up to and tries yeah. to um, mimic. And so yeah. this is just absolutely a, the, the most egregious and aggressive form of propaganda that you could possibly envision for our youth. Um, so there's this second page here. I don't know if we can pull it up. It's a bit confusing trying to navigate and get to the actual. Yeah. Okay. So there's the first page and then you click on the second page. There it is. Look, they're among everyday heroes every day. The construction yeah. worker, the florist, the painter, everyday heroes are everywhere in your community. What makes them everyday heroes? Well, they know what to do to help defend against COVID-19. They vaccinate. Together, we can help protect ourselves against COVID-19. Communicate. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about the latest developments in COVID-19 vaccinations. Stay up to date. COVID-19 is unpredictable. Continue to take action against COVID-19 as it evolves. Like, wow. that is absolutely insane. And then there's a whole comic about it. I won't get too far into it. Other than I wanted to point out, maybe we can just show even page four or five of the comic itself. So basically, Ultron is the bad guy. And he's supposed to be like, like COVID. They're fighting COVID, but it's Ultron. And the grandpa, look at that guy in the green sweater. Drea, tell me, can you see him? What does he, who does he look like to you? Oh. Can you see? <laughs> so I thought, so this like old, this old white grandpa who has all the knowledge about how they fight Ultron, which is a, 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 AKA COVID. He looks mm. so much like Bill Gates. Oh, does he look, I can't really see it that good. But, we can like uh, zoom in on his face. He, it reminds me. I don't know. The head with the shape. sweater and the glasses and anyway. You know, this it, is just so, it, it is so, this stuff needs to be legal. You, these are still, these jabs still have no long-term studies, especially when it comes to children who we know yeah. are not dying from this uh, virus, especially Omicron. And then you have yeah. books with their favorite people propagandizing them to think that they need to do this to be a hero. And then they... Since when are the heroes just people who vaccinate? What happened to the police? <laughs> right. I, you know, when someone's got a gun to your head, they've run in to fight that. What happened to the surgeons? What happened to the firefighters? Now it's literally, you know what makes them heroes? They jab people. That's the only standard right now. I mean, this is so concerning on so many levels, especially since we continue to see more and more information come out about how these are, in fact, not as safe as we were originally, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to young people, youths, uh, young males. Young boys. These are this boys. Is targeting young boys, the same ones boys. who get myocarditis in record ah. numbers from the shot. This is insane. This is so wrong. And I wonder how much Pfizer paid for this, too. You know, how much did they have to give Marvel? You got to follow the money with all this. Like, you know, yeah. where's the money? Not the science. Whose idea was it? That's where it all is. And, uh, you yeah. know, there's so much coming at our kids at once. Like as a parent, mm -hmm. it's so concerning, you know, especially 
we're always telling people what we know and making sure they know the public. And then I have a daughter who's a teenager and she comes home and tells me something like, Oh my gosh, mom, you'll never believe what was in my school or what happened or what I saw. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like it's, it's hard to keep up with. So I think the most important strategy is teaching your children to question everything, right? They they need Mm -hmm. to learn that just because they get handed something by someone in authority, like a teacher, they need to find out if that information is true themselves. And that I think is the most important thing we can teach our kids from a young age. Yeah. Question yeah. When I saw this, it was, I just absolutely disgusts me um, propagating this onto children through their comic books. And there used to be advertising standards, you know, I'm going back yeah. 10, 10, 15 years. Um, but I had a, when I was in university, one of my really good friends was taking a graphic design degree at the same time. And he would always talk to me about the advertising standards and laws and legislation that was in place to prevent, like these mm-hmm. companies can't advertise directly to children. Sure. It's illegal. At least it was then. I'm not familiar if that's changed over the last 10 years, but um, this is direct advertising to children. Yeah. Just a few years ago, uh, YouTube got a huge lawsuit. I think it was 170 million they had to pay for allowing ads to uh, advertise to kids when they're watching kids shows and they had to come up with it. It was against the COPA laws. So you're right. Well, how is this all of a sudden okay when it's big pharma indoctrination? This is, I mean, they're, they're not even hiding the wolf's teeth here. They're just saying, okay, we're going with the most coolest thing for little boys. They know that parents are not getting their kids vaccinated. So they want your five-year-old coming home to you and saying, hey, mom, like I'm not a hero because we didn't get vaccinated. Can I go do that? Mm-hmm. I want to be like Iron Man and fight Ultron, i.e. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. They're going to be stabbing their friends with little needles to to save the world you know yeah well and so this this moves us into uh joe biden who i guess some public records have recently showed that um they used leverage against these same youth right who have seen this unprecedented target campaign uh toward them but they used their athletics and extracurriculars as a way to boost youth vaccination as an effective tactic across the country. So these public record emails show that the Biden administration wanted to, like I said, leverage school sports and activities to coerce vaccination of the students. And so many of that we heard in Canada too, right? Well, I just mm-hmm. wanna play hockey or I'm in my senior yeah. year, like guys that were, were getting drafted for the OHL, mm-hmm. that's the Ontario Hockey League and in other provinces as well. Um, these the teenagers were so greatly affected by these mandates and even yeah. teenagers who literally just wanted to go to the movies with their friends, but they couldn't do it unless they were vaccinated and showed their vax pass. And they were mm-hmm. like, well, I guess I'm going to do it because at that age, you're ripe for social activity and youth sport and, so- and opportunity, right? These are, could lead to future opportunities, especially when it comes to the sports. And it's so evil because that was on the heels of the kids already being locked down where they were told, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be two weeks, two months, whatever. And then eventually you'll be able to hang out with your friends, go to sports, and then they hit you with the next one. And that's the whole conditioning, the boiling frog. Um, You know, they slowly turn up the temperature so that you gradually start to accept these things. But, you Mm -hmm. know, thankfully in British Columbia, 
our children were still allowed to play sports. They were still allowed to go to school. And that's why there's such a drastic difference between how many um, of your guys' crisis centers out east were getting calls from kids who were suicidal versus out here. I mean, there's a direct correlation with that. So, I mean, we... <sighs> Yeah, there's just so much. And I remember, I remember when the vaccines first rolled out, um, I believe it was Ontario, again, right after the lockdown, you couldn't hang out with your friends. I think it might've even been still during lockdown when you couldn't hang out with your friends. And they had like a DJ set up. They were advertising for kids. Do you remember that? To come from DJ, just, mm -hmm. ice cream, music, yep. like what happened to social distancing? Like it was crowds. And of course crowds did show up because if you're a, a youth, that sounds so fun after being deprived mm -hmm. for a year from anything that is joyous. Yeah. I did a report on that recently with, well, specifically when the city of Toronto pulled those uh, awful, awful guilt riddled vaccine ads that they put out to minority families, primarily really all the, the children in there were, um, people of color or ethnic back backgrounds. Um, and yeah, they, they coerced people into Nathan Phillips Square. I think it was May 2-4, so the long weekend in May of 2021, with promise of, yeah, a DJ and free ice cream to get your kids, and at that time it was 12 and ups vaccinated against COVID, to uh, stop the spread, right? We were told that it would stop the transmission, prevent infection, and obviously that's shown now in real time to have been misinformation. Or a rushed market experimental jab. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah. We had a few other topics on the agenda here, but um, I have another appointment that I have to get to. Drea, do you, uh, do you want to touch on anything before we sign off? Um, I also have an interview in a few minutes here too, but uh, <laughs> so I guess we could end. I think so. Yeah, well, thank you. I don't know. Let's just double check if we have any more super chats. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your comments and engaging with us. Um, yeah, we're going to cut the live stream now. We're, we're a few minutes over time. And unfortunately, due to our insane schedules, uh, we, we can't stay on any longer with you. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everyone behind the scenes for making the stream possible, our producers, our graphic designers, everyone who posts and makes sure that we have the proper URLs and links ready to go so that you can find us easily. Um, we appreciate all the efforts that go into these live streams and you will find two more rebels, maybe even three back here tomorrow, same time and place. Uh, and actually we'll have a special live stream this evening. I believe it starts at 5 p.m. Mountain Time and 7 p.m. Eastern on the UCP. So the provincial Alberta Provincial Leadership uh, race is on and they'll be announcing their new leader this evening. So join the live stream tonight and or again this time tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Uh, that it was 463 days, you tell us, from the time that you requested this vSafe data. vSafe is a CDC program where you just kind of report how you're doing after you got the vaccine. 463 days to get it. Why did it take so long in your estimation, sir? It's a very good question. Why did it take numerous legal demands, multiple appeals, two lawsuits, in fact, before the CDC finally handed over the vSafe data, which is already de-identified data for the most part that they provided just two days ago, 144 million lines of code that they could have provided in a matter of minutes at any point? It's a great question. 
maybe the answer is, is that now that we have that data and we've looked at that data, of the 10 million users within vSafe, 7.7% uh-huh. of them had to seek medical care after vaccination. That is an incredibly high percentage, it appears to me. Yeah, and, and if I can, and sir, I'm sure I just there want to put mo- this graphic up it, to kind of follow along with you. You're right. 7.7 required sure. medical care. I'm talking about emergency rooms, hospitalizations. There it is right there. And on top of that, not yeah. to, to go you one better, but this is your information, another 2.5 million, we're talking 25%, missed work or school or had bad reactions to the vaccine. What's the takeaway for you from this? Is it significant? Significant? It is. Uh, it seems incredibly significant. A big reason that they pushed the COVID vaccine is they said, "Look, not everybody's going to get you know seriously injured by COVID, but for many, it'll prevent them from having symptoms, being hospitalized, mm-hmm. uh, missing work." Well, now that we have the data, we could see that getting the vaccine caused 25% of people who got the shot within mm-hmm. this data set of 10 million people to miss work, to have some serious event affecting their normal life functions. Yeah.